This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Sam, since we did the last MMA Insiders podcast, which was a great show that we had with Lucas Millbrook of the PFA, so much has happened in the business side of mixed martial arts from the Venator FC president coming out and saying, yeah, we're losing money. Ally Aquinta, just an amazing article on FoxSports.com talking about his contract situation. Shell Sonnen signing with Bellator. Shamrock FC taking Fight Heart MMA to court in Missouri. RFA and Legacy are merging. Mick Maynard officially is a new matchmaker with the UFC. Sam, there's so much for us to talk about. Where do you want to start this week off? A lot of different places where we can go, but I think we have to start out with Shale Sonnen, the gangster from Oregon. I tell you, I was uh, that was last Thursday night that that news broke, and I was uh, I was hanging out with a buddy and a, a friend of a friend of mine texted me. He's like, "Hey, you might want to check your Twitter timeline." And I'm sitting there going, "Okay." Let, let, and then I see it, and, I, and literally, I was like, "Wow!" I. I think that the part of me and look, I you got to commend Bellator for for pulling this one off um, because Shell Sonnen potentially. I mean, look, this is a guy that uh, you know in his prime. I mean, he was one of the biggest pay per view generators for the UFC because of, of the way he knows how to promote fights. Uh, but I, I think the other part of this that that just really jumped out to me is the fact that the UFC let him walk. Well, they didn't let necessarily let him walk because he made it clear he was not under contract to the UFC when he signed with Bellator. He hadn't been under contract to the UFC for quite some time. When they let him go from his Fox Sports 1 UFC Tonight job after he got in trouble again and they let him go, that was a total release. They released him as an announcer. They released him as a fighter. He was completely a contractual free agent. It's just that we all assumed, because he had been so pro-UFC, he had been such a great soldier for them, and he had sold so many pay-per-views for them, we just all assumed that's where Chell Sonnen was going to go back to. But, Sam, here's where that part of that story that, to me, doesn't add up. He was tested by USADA. So for him to be tested by USADA, he'd have to be under contract with the UFC. Otherwise, USADA doesn't have the right to drug test him. How do we know that? What do, what do you mean? Well, if an, if an athlete is drafted by the Tampa Bay Bucks and he wants to go to minicamp, even though he's not under contract, he can sign you know, a, a waiver. No, but he would have to be. He would have to sign that USADA agreement. And when you think about USADA, just came in a year ago. What you can't sign an USADA agreement and, and on a contingency? Why, why? I mean, you could do that on contingency, but why would you put yourself in that situation if you're Shell Sonnen? Because it's you're, you're negotiating a new deal. It's going to take a while, but in order to get back into the cage for a certain date, you've got to that, that clock's got to start ticking. So maybe it's a four month lead time. So maybe he thought, hey, I'll start, get this process going here, I'll get in the testing program, and we'll work a deal out, and everything will be great. Well, Something but, happened there. But you I, know, I, mean, Sam, I, I know where you're getting at. Something happened there. We just don't know what. But it was obviously a huge impasse, most likely involving money. You have to imagine that Mike Roberts called up the UFC and said, give us your best offer. They probably, it probably wasn't good enough. I mean, it, it's... it's just, the thing that's really surprised, the thing that shocked me was that Chael Sonnen was being talked about for a co-main event slot for UFC 205. There were rumors that he would mm-hmm. fight either G- GSP, possibly Nick Diaz. I even heard a rumor towards the end there that maybe it would even be Rashad Evans. Next thing you know, he's, he's signing with Bellator. The thing that I think is interesting also is, you know, he mentioned his fine, if he fails a test, would be 500000 and then when he went on Ari Hawani, he clarified and said it would be 500000 in addition to his sal- his purse for that fight. I'm wondering if now that's what, he, co- that's what he said on, on the conference call as well. He said it would be a $500,000 fine plus his fight purse, it's which I, I find that hard to believe. Sam. I find that hard to believe as well. I find the 
thousand number uh, five hundred thousand number to be interesting because that just so happens to be what CM Punk was paid. Mm-hmm. Did this start to go south once Chael, Chael Sutton found out what CM Punk was paid for UFC two hundred three? It, it, it very well could be. I mean, I, I think the thing with Chael Sutton is, you know, while we we know he was a draw. Uh, you know, during his, his feud with Anderson Silva, you know, that was a couple of years ago. Can can that translate over into Bellator? I mean, one of the things listening to that conference call, um, you know, is Shell Son, and, and a lot of fighters should be listening to that conference call to see how Shell Son, not only was he promoting himself, but one of my biggest takeaways from that conference call was the fact of he was putting over the card that night, which when they announced it, when it was, you know, announced by the AP. On that Thursday evening, you know, 24 hours before Bellator 161, my first thought is, I mean, obviously maybe you were worried that you wouldn't be able to keep that under wraps until Friday evening because I've always said I think the best place for Bellator to break their news is on their own broadcast. I mean, you could essentially tease, hey, we've got a major announcement coming up on our broadcast, and I know me and you were going back and forth on this, and maybe they were kind of worried that it would somehow leak out there. But just listen to that converse call, it was you understand why Shell Son has this personality that just draws people to want to watch him fight. He's perfect for, for Bellator because he's not only a special attraction, a guy that can talk and be more spectacle than sport and be a, a, a needle mover. He's also a legitimate athlete. You know, whether or not he may have dabbled in performance enhancing drugs or, you know, whether or not he may have done that, it's a guy that can fight at a high level. Now, can he get back to that point where he was at two years ago? Maybe, maybe not. But this isn't a case of bringing in a 15, 52-year-old Ken Shamrock. This no, isn't totally, yeah. a 49-year-old Ho- Hoist Gracie. There is a special attraction feel to this, but also a degree of legitimacy as a professional athlete, as a relevant MMA fighter. Yeah, he's going to be in some big money fights, catchweight fights. But who's to say he doesn't challenge for the Bellator 205 title within the next 12 months? Who's to say there's not a Bellator 185 title shot uh, within the next 12 months on the horizon for Shale Sonnen as well? I mean, who's to say that he will not hold a Bellator world title? So this works on a lot of level. In addition to him helping as a fighter, he's essentially going to be a de facto promoter. Yeah, I mean, look. You look, I- you look at Scott Coker. Scott Coker is a very even keel, laid back promoter. He's not a guy that really welcomes the spotlight, that craves attention. Now you've got a guy in Shale Sun, and he can kind of make up for a lot of the areas where Scott Coker has kind of turned a blind eye to. I mean, he doesn't want to be out there like Dana White, but Bell- Bellator really needs they someone do. like that. And sh- I think Shale Sun and is not only signing there as a fighter, but he is going to be all over that promotion. And when it's all said and done, I think he's going to be working for that promotion in, in multiple capacities. You know, th- there was something about that, that conference call. And, and, and another thing that jumped out to me was, you know, Shell was lobbying to, to fight in the state of California, you know, and, and obviously everything's going to come up with drug testing. And, and Sam, once again, I'll say this. Scott Coker needs to learn the UFC anti-doping policy. Oh, he does not gosh. know what it is. I, I'm sitting there, and, and I'll sit there, and you know, he talks about we don't want an independent policy, you know, independent person handling this. But let's be honest about it; that's what you're doing for your international shows with Mike Mazzoli, the Mohegan Commission. I mean, the only di- the only major difference is Mike Mazzoli has the ability to actually license the fighters, where USADA is not licensing the fighters. But I sit there and tell people, tell me the difference between the UFC handling the drug testing for the, the UFC. And the difference of Mike Mazzoli and the Mohegan Tribe handling the drug testing for international events and Alexander Shomenko's fight in Tennessee. There, there really and, and isn't. Look, I mean, and, there's and, not much of a difference. And, look, and I, I think Mike Mazzoli is, is the, one of the best regulars in the world. But let's be honest about it. it what, outside of the fact that Mike Mazzoli can license those fighters, what's the difference between what he's doing for Bellator as opposed to what USADA is doing for the UFC? And I, I did Scott Coker during that pref, press conference, because I read the quote. I didn't hear it. Did he really say that he's not sure third-party testing is, is working Correct. for the UFC? Correct. What context is that coming from? Does he mean from the perspective that he doesn't think it's cleaned up the UFC? Or does I, I he think, mean that it, he thinks that third-party testing is hurting the UFC's 
uh, business from a promotional standpoint. What I, I would I wish somebody would have followed that up because you can't say it's not working from a legitimacy sta- a legitimacy standpoint and trying to clean things up. They just suspended John Jones and Brock Lesnar. You yeah. know, I mean, they're, they're flagging guys right and left. Uh, if if he's if it's the other side of the coin there where he feels like you know that kind of third party testing hurts your promotional ability and hurts you from a business perspective, then he's on the wrong side of the issue. This is my problem. You know, it's unfortunately Scott Coker has a very 2012 mentality when it comes to drug testing, where it's the we're regulated by the government thing. And let's be honest about it, the only way you clean up a sport is by doing drug testing year-round and out of competition. That's the only way you're going to catch fighters. And, you know, obviously, you know, people like myself, uh, Josh Gross, and, and some other media members have hammered Bellator for this. The fact of, you know, they have this very soft stance on drug testing. It, it's not 2012 anymore. And, and look, and I commend Shell Sonnen for saying, I want to fight in California because I know Andy Foster is one of the toughest regulators. I, I think that was one of the smartest things he said in that conference call because he obviously he would have gone on that conference call and he knew people were going to sit there and say, hey, this is a guy that, you know, has failed drug tests in California. He's, he has a failed drug test in Nevada. So, you know, he went in there with a great mentality of, okay, guys, this is what I want to do. Andy Foster is one of the toughest guys. Let me get regulated by him. Because you know Andy Foster, because of, A, Shell Sun's issues in the state of California it, for his first fight with Anderson Silva, that he's going to drug test him, uh, you know, you know, before this fight, you know, before fight night, probably a, a week or two or three or four weeks before, you know, a potential scheduled fight for Shell Sonnen. I just, you know, Bellator is getting more pressure for out-of-competition drug tests. I mean, look, it, you know, it's it's a very expensive route to go. I'd, I'd rather them just come out and say, guys, we, we've put bids out there. Financially, we just can't make it work. Do they still have a PR department? They do. Has anyone from that PR department ever sat, sat Scott Coker down and said, hey, Scott, we need to stop with the 2012 Dano response. It's 2016. This doesn't cut it. You're inviting more criticism every time you go down this path of reasoning because it, it's, it's, it's obsolete at this point. It's totally obsolete. I, you know, the, the PR department, they've got to coach him. And if the PR department isn't doing it, then the PR department needs PR coaching themselves because they've got to do something. Absolutely, they cannot do the level of, a, of testing that USADA is doing for the UFC. That's about, from what I've heard, a $10 million price tag. It is very, mm-hmm. very expensive. That's not going to happen. Bellator doesn't generate that kind of revenue. And to expect them to do a USADA uh, level testing is it, not fair. It's not realistic. But they can do more than what they're doing now. You know how they have Mohegan doing their testing overseas and they're doing it there. Mohegan is testing Shlomenko for the Tennessee show. Why can't they have Mohegan do out of competition testing mm-hmm. all year round? Why can't they bring Mike Mazzulli and his organization in and have them do it? It's not like they're hiring a state government. Yes, Mohegan is part of the ABC, but it is not a state government commission. It is a separate entity. So they have the ability to freelance and act as a third party. Why wouldn't you do that? And you don't have to have supervisors greeting the fighters at their home, at the gym, stalking them. You can just give them a notice, serve them, and say they have 48 hours to get to an approved testing facility and take this test. They could come up with a smaller scaled down version of it that would get a lot of people off their backs and address a lot of these criticisms. You know, why not have a policy where, you know, as every fighter enters the organization, every time they sign, they're subject to a drug test. They have to pass that drug test before their contract becomes valid. It doesn't mean that that fighter is going to use drugs, uh, you know, uh, never use drugs once they, uh, you know, pass that test and officially become the become part of the organization. No, it doesn't. But it's, at least it's something. You can also, if, a, if someone has a past history, if you're bringing in someone like Shale Sonnen who has tested positive in the past outside of your organization, not only do they come in and have to pass a test in order for their contract to be valid, they're subject to, uh, you know, you know, out of year, out of competition testing year round. They're they're entering on, on a probationary status, and then you have Mohegan just do random testing throughout the year. 
You know, why, why can't they do something like that? It doesn't have to be as crazy as the UFC testing, but it can be light testing. And in order to get around some of the costs, you don't have inspectors showing up at the house. You serve the, the athlete with notice, and they've got to report somewhere and pee in a cup. And, and I know you, that's feasible, Jason. That's yeah, feasible. Yeah, you know, it's very feasible. And I know you want to talk about the Kevin Ioli piece that was. Oh, it's a bullshit fall, article. Fall. Bullshit article. I wouldn't call it that. Uh, it, it, it is. But it, I mean, here's why it's bullshit, Jason. When does Kevin Ioli ever write about anything non UFC related? Um, I actually think he wrote the article on Jamil Chan. Uh, who fought this past weekend at Bellator 161. But, I think he he did a piece uh, a little while ago. He, he writes it every once in a while, but look, his bread and butter is going to be UFC content and, and boxing content. And that's fine, but it seems like any time he goes out of his comfort zone and writes something that's not directly UFC related, it's an attack piece. He, but I, but it, 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 I'm going to read a paragraph and tell me, is this an attack piece or is this just being honest, where he says this, quote, Listen to Coker talk about drug testing and Bellator's lack of it, and you'd swear you're listening to one of UFC President Dana White's inane defenses of a cheating fight of circa 2012. For years, when a UFC fighter fell a drug test and White was pushed about making penalties harsher, he'd smile and say, we've been tested by the government. Is but, it, it, that, that's just an honest statement. But, Jason, if you wrote that, I wouldn't have a problem with that. If someone like Josh Gross wrote that, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Kevin Ioli, it, he comes off as an attack dog for the UFC. This article gets written less than 24 hours the, from the time Chael Sonnen spurned the UFC, spurred the UFC and signed with Bellator. The timing of it is very ominous. And you look at Yahoo, the, the company that he writes for, the outlet that he writes for. In the past, and they still might. I don't know if they still do it now. But in the past, they sold online pay-per-views for the UFC. They, if you go to Yahoo, I don't know what it is like today. In the past, they didn't have an MMA section. They had a UFC section. Business-wise, Yahoo has been ver- tied very closely to the UFC. Kevin Ioli has a personal friendship with Dana White that dates back many, many years. He knew Dana White before Dana White was the Dana White that we all know. They go way back. So for someone to have that opinion, if they're coming from a non-biased perspective – they're just telling the truth. But someone like Kevin Ioli, he should not be writing those things. He is not in a position from a legitimate credibility standpoint to be writing anything non-UFC related. Because anytime it seems like he writes something that's not UFC related about MMA, it's an attack. And it's, it's wrong and it's unfair. It's unfair to Scott Coker. It's unfair to Bellator. If someone who has an objective perspective wants to write those things, that's fine. Scott, uh, Kevin Ioli should not be, be allowed to write about Bellator. But I'll, I'll say this: I agree with everything he said in the article. I don't have I don't have a problem it's, with it. It's I mean, just, it was so swarmy. It's you know, it's it's 2016, and it, it, it's we live in a day and age where you know that that uh, people pre-qualify their insults. You know how people go, "No offense, but." Or don't take this the wrong way, but that's what uh, Kevin Ioli's article reeked of. It just reeked of that kind of swarminess where he's saying Scott Coker did great things for Strike Force, but Chael Sonnen was a tremendous draw who has a lot of fans and is very entertaining. But and he's labeling, you know, he's saying that because Chael Sonnen has cheated in the past, he's always going to be a cheater. You don't know that. You do not know that. And why is he attacking Chael Sonnen now? Why didn't he attack Shale Sonnen trying to get back into MMA when Sonnen revealed a couple months back that he had re-entered the USADA testing program and everyone assumed it was to get back into the UFC and fight on the UFC 205? Why did we just now hear this criticism of Shale Sonnen from Kevin Ioli after he signed with Bellator, less than 24 hours after he signed with Bellator? If you have a problem with Shale Sonnen re-entering the sport, if you have a problem with him signing with Bellator, you should have had this problem two months ago when you found out he was being tested by USADA again and had re-entered the program with the intent to make a comeback. And, it should, and for anyone who's not seen this article, it's titled, Shale Sonnen signing shows Bellator isn't taking drug testing seriously. And this is from uh, September the 16th, which, of course, uh, was uh, – Friday of last week, um, you know, look, and Bellator, they have to take a, a, you know, and I do believe there are people in that organization that they want a tougher stance on drug testing. And I, there is some, some, not much out of competition drug testing going on, you know, and, and one of the things as someone who's, who's covered drug testing in May, 
you know, there's some states that just don't want to talk to you when it, when it comes to that. You know, they'll they'll go, oh, it's private record. I mean, it's it's kind of like the whole Missouri situation where you've got fighters saying, yeah, I wasn't drug tested there, and I and I was in a title fight, and then Missouri doesn't even want to, you know, basically give you a, a no comment on the situation. I think that's where fans have a problem with. I mean, look, if they go with Shell Saw on November 19th, I think Andy Foster will drug test him multiple times uh, to make sure he's clean. But I'll say this. I don't. If you're Bellator, you've already got a, a person we think is a pretty significant draw in MMA in Benson Henderson. And yes, there is a UFC card that night. Benson taking on Michael Chandler. Is it in Bellator's best interest to just go have Benson Henderson and Shell Son fighting on the same card? Or is it better where they should maybe have Shell Son and headlining another card to try to bring in another big rating? probably better for them to spread the wealth and try to spread the ratings out. But, you know, Chell Sonnen, from what I understand, was preparing for a November fight. He was preparing to fight at Madison Square Garden. It would shock me that if it would shock me if Chell Sonnen did not fight in November. I I think he's going to be on the same card as Ben Henderson. I think they're going to stack that card because they are going head to head with, with UFC. My understanding was that when Scott Coker came in, after that, the uh, that initial show where they were going head to head in Connecticut, from what I understand, from what people told me behind the scenes, that there was a gentleman's agreement between UFC and Bellator not to do that kind of stuff, to stop that stuff. That you know that was acceptable when Bjorn Revney was there, but that you know Scott wasn't going to treat the UFC publicly the same way that that Bjorn had, and that things were going to be different. The fact that they're going head to head like that again maybe suggests to me that they're ready to go to war again. Maybe Bellator has signed one too many coveted fighters that the UFC wanted to re-sign. You know, it probably started with Ben Henderson a little bit. Things probably got a little more tense once they signed Rory McDonald. And you, I, 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 I find that the idea that the UFC is happy that Shale Sonnen has gone to Bellator, I find that notion to be really hard to believe. And no one's really even expressed that notion. So to me, it's obvious that this is this is a signing that the UFC uh, is going to feel that they they do not want to happen. And I think that we're going to see a head a head to head war. And I think that's why you're going to see Sonnen and Henderson on the same show because I think the UFC is not doing one but two shows that day. Yeah, they're doing a, a Fight Pass show in Belfast, and then it's a uh, I believe it's a Brazil card that night. Also, there's a HBO boxing pay per view that night as well. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of options out there, uh, you know, for the fight fan to go watch. And, of course, you're you're in the uh, the end of college football season as well. So, I mean, just uh, this past weekend, uh, the Ohio State-Oklahoma game on Fox had over 5 million viewers. Uh, the Notre Dame and Michigan State, which is on at the same time as that game and also the UFC card, had close to 5 million viewers. So uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a lot of things, and fans are going to have to decide what they, what they sit there and want to watch. Bellator could hold up to the UFC very well for that show because they'll be their show will be emanating from the United States. They should get some decent media coverage. Whereas when the UFC does shows in Brazil, they don't get as much coverage. And let's face it, the shows in Brazil aren't always as stacked as the cards that they have in the United States. So I think it's going to be a B level, maybe B plus level card from the UFC, what they offer to the fans that night compared to an A plus plus level offering from Bellator. I think that's going to be a very interesting ratings battle that night. I think it could be very close. Bellator could even win. If, yeah, you, if you've got Shale Sonnen against Tito Ortiz and Ben Henderson versus Mike Chandler, my goodness, I, I, I would predict them winning that night. Uh, and that's going to be UFC Fight Night 100 down Brazil, which uh, it's rumored going to be headlined uh, by Alexander Gustafsson against uh, you know Little Nog in a light heavyweight matchup that fight's not being confirmed by the UFC at this time. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I think just like uh, Shell Son, it's, it's kind of like every other big sign that Bellator's had to make is, you know, while it's 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 a great sign to go out there and get them, can they develop some of their other stars? Um, you know, one of the guys that they clearly tried this with was Emmanuel Sanchez. He was constantly on the Kimbo cards and, uh, you know, the Kimbo Dada and the, and the Kimbo Ken as trying to uh, develop him. And, and, whether you know, and I, I don't think it's really helped Emmanuel Sanchez. I think also doesn't help when... I think now he's had you know four straight fights that have gone to split decision. By the way, yeah. they're booking him against AJ McKee, uh, December the second. Uh, Surprised at that booking. 
Yeah, that, that was uh, when they when Scott Coker announced that on the conference call. I was kind of like, wow, um, that, that's a little bit of an interesting announcement. That's going to be uh, December second uh, in in Thackerville. Scott Coker apparently hasn't gotten the memo that uh, Thackerville is just not outside of Dallas. It's a good hour and a half drive. Uh, so, so well, when, Bjorn Rebney never got that memo either. So. No, no, I, I remember uh, making that drop. I'm like, I thought they said just right outside Dallas. Hour yeah. and fifteen, hour and a half later. Oh, they, there finally is is a casino there. But I didn't know Hammond, Indiana, was in Chicago. No, yeah, I didn't know either. But I mean, look, it's a great signing by Bellator. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, this has a, you know, I think Shell can walk in right now and be the Bellator 185 pound champion. Um, you know, it's it's a very weak division. Obviously, the money fights for for Shell are at two hundred five. He he wants a Tito fight. You know, maybe you know Rampage Jackson has one fight left on his Bellator deal. That's and, that's another big fight. They and that do. fight he hasn't talked about that fight. And also he hasn't talked about fighting King Mo. And I think they're friends. But both of those guys, they're they're money weight fighters. So there's a lot. You know, he threw out some really interesting matchups, and he didn't even mention Rampage or Mo. Yeah, you know, Rampage has kind of made it kind of clear that his days at 205 uh, are over. Uh, but th- there's obviously there's there's some interesting matchups there with Shell Sun. It's going to be interesting to kind of see. I mean, of course, you know, that November 19th card also has Michael Page on it as well. So I'm, I'm sure there's going to be people who are, who are going to want to see him fight. You know, I would say, Jason, that if, if you've been listening to this program, my forecast for Bellator long term had been pretty bleak. I mean, in the wake of the death of Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock getting pop, you know, Bellator had built its brand around these special attraction fights, and they didn't have the the talent to operate that model anymore. The 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 you know, the, the personnel for these special attraction fights were you know not available to them anymore, and you know the ratings they were having some issues with the ratings. Long term, I didn't know what the future would hold for Bellator, but. You look at the Rory McDonald signing. You look at the Shale Sonnen signing. The worm has turned very quickly here. You know, I don't know if Bellator can generate enough revenue to support the salaries of some of these guys, but from a ratings perspective, their business is picking up. Business is about to pick up for Bellator. And with Shale Sonnen there, you know, one of Bellator's biggest issues has been getting momentum, getting traction in the media, in the pub, in the public eye, getting people excited and getting people to talk about Bellator. And I think Shale Sonnen is going to definitely address some of those issues. I mean, when he starts talking about Fedor, you know, whether or not Fedor is ever going to fight in Bellator, just the fact that the way he presented that got people talking. You know, one of the things I think that's going to hurt Bellator over the next month is we are a month away from their next show. Their next show is not till October the 21st. And by the way, Sam, so I landed in Phoenix last Friday night just as the main event was starting. I turned it off after the second round. I, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I mean, it, that was awful. Like, I'm sitting there going, I can only imagine what's going through, uh, you know, Rich's is mine as he's sitting cage side as that fight's going on. I mean, I, I guess I'm probably like a lot of people. I mean, look, I was sitting on on the team bus going to the airport, going to the, the team hotel, and, and I'm watching this on my phone. I'm just like, this is awful to watch. Like, this is not fun. And, uh, you know, and the rest of the fights on that fight card delivered. I mean, that's and that's what they want. But I'm like, man, this is so bad. It's tough when your main event blows a stinker. Yeah, it just 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 was an awful fight, but huge there uh, for Bellator. Of course, uh, you are listening to the MMA Insiders podcast. Of course, I'm Jason Floyd. He is Sam Kaplan. Sam, uh, I do want to get a, a quick uh, question here from we got from a listener because uh, the previous two episodes of the podcast we had Rob Macy of the MMAFA on, we and then last week we had Lucas Middlebrook of the PFA on. Of course, Lucas dropped a, a nice little bomb here on the show. The fact of the uh, the timing has started at a uh, a union card has been signed. Uh, but we got asked this question. It says that now that we've heard from the PFA and MFA, MMAFA, which, in your opinion, is best for fighters in the UFC? And, and Sam, I would have to side with the PFA just because of, um, you know, especially with with the health benefits they're trying to do and some other things. I got to side with them over, over the MMAFA right now. The path to fighter financial independence, the vision that both organizations have, there's a lot of uphill climbing that's going to take place in order for them to implement their visions. When you get down to it, the MMA FA has been around for seven years and they haven't really made any major inroads. They've done a little few things here and there, but they've been around for seven years. If you look at Lucas Middlebrook, you look at Jeff Boris, you look at their pedigrees, 
and 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 the, and the 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 sway that they have and the clout that they have with professional athletes and professional sports franchises i think that is the best hope of the fighters the best hope that they have had ever so if i was a fighter if i was an athlete i would hitch my wagon to Jeff Boris, I would hitch it to Lucas Middlebrook. And really, it's not even so much about the vision, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali Act versus unioniz- unionization and collective bargaining. It's more about the, the, the faith that I have in Jeff Boris and also Lucas Middlebrook, what they bring yeah. to the table. And you just hearing Lucas last week, the way he speaks, the way he articulates, the credibility that he projects when he talks, that's a guy that I would want to hitch my wagon to. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Of course, if you if you miss those episodes, you can uh, check us out on uh, RadioFluence.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud. It's all there. And I do want to appreciate we we got a, a rating on our iTunes feed. We always appreciate when people uh, go to our iTunes feed and leave us a review. So I want to thank uh, iTunes user DBLD541 for giving us a five-star rating there uh, on uh, on iTunes. So we really do appreciate everyone that does that. And uh, if you listen to the show, man, do that or or tell your friends about this podcast. We'll check it out. But, but Sam, hey, as we're recording this show here on uh, Tuesday, September the 20th, the major news officially announced by the UFC today, Joe Silva is retiring at the end of the year. Sean Shelby has been promoted to Senior Vice President of Talent Relations. And Mick Maynard, who has been uh, running Legacy Fights there, a regional promotion in Texas that has brought a, a lot of fighters to the UFC, he is now the Vice President of Talent Relations, so he's joining as a matchmaker. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, obviously this kind of, this news has been out there for a couple of days, and one of the things that kind of jump out to me is I wonder how many managers were going, crap, I have a bad relationship with Mick Maynard. Not too many managers do. He's a very well-liked guy from what I understand. The announcement thus far has been met with overwhelming positivity. I think this is a great move by the UFC. He's really established himself as a legitimate eye for talent over the past couple years. And he's not just a guy that can matchmake, but he's ran his own promotion. And this is a guy that's trained, you know, in years past. So this is a guy that has all the credentials you'd want from a high-level, top-level matchmaker. I was kind of worried. I thought maybe they would go more of a corporate route. Um, so I was very relieved and I'm very glad that they went with someone like McMaynard, someone that's in the MMA industry but didn't get brought up through the Zufa, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Zufa corporate pi- pipeline. Yeah, and obviously the other part of this news that came out on Monday is that RFA and Legacy are merging together. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're planning to do 30 events in 2017. And, and RFA and Legacy have proven to be the two organizations that if your goal as a, a fighter and you're telling your manager, look, my goal is to get to the UFC, RFA and Legacy were the place to go. It, it, the, the stats don't lie. They were the two promotions that overwhelmingly were getting the most fighters uh, into the UFC. 30 shows for a regional promotion. I mean, that, Sam, that's that's a lot of shows to be doing when you're a, a quote-unquote uh, you know, a feeder system. Without question, they are the premier feeder organization in the world. 30 dates. That's a lot of dates. If I was a manager of a prospect, I would be kicking down the doors of the new LFA to get my fighter in there because with 30 shows, not only can my fighter potentially fight at least three times a year, he could potentially fight five times a year yeah. because out of all, you know, in addition to having the fight scheduled, the matchmakers for the LFA with 30 dates now, there's going to be injuries, you know, and if you're a manager, you can just tell your fighter, hey, we want to get you to the UFC as soon as possible. You're young. You need to be training year round. There's no off season. Stay in the gym even after your fights. And if your fighter's doing that, you can constantly call the matchmakers at LFA and say, hey, I've got a guy. He's, you know, he, he, he fought, he fought for you a month ago for a regularly scheduled fight. He's still in the gym. If you have an injury at 170, if you have an injury at 185, call us. He's ready to go on short notice. He's ready to go. And if you can do that, especially with a, a promotion that has 30 dates like that, and you're ready all the time, you're going to get more fights than you can handle. Yeah, and obviously it's huge for Access TV, especially as long as they can keep those, those television rights uh, there. It was I was kind of surprised by the reaction of people and when it was announced that Inside MMA is going away. 
Sam, I was I really wasn't surprised. I mean, when you're doing what they're doing in terms of sending people around the country, also, yeah. uh, you know, when you're doing television trucks to go do an interview at, at a fire gym, that's not cheap. Are you, like, if you watch UFC tonight, UFC tonight does something very smart. All their fire interviews via Skype yep. makes it real cheap. Makes it real cheap. <laughs> You know, there was a time when I was at Bellator where you had three MMA studio shows on major, semi-major networks. You had MMA Uncensored on Spike. You had MMA Live on ESPN2. Mm-hmm. And then you had Access MMA on, on Access TV. Those three shows are now all gone. And I think the reason why is because they were too expensive to produce. Yeah. And you look at Access TV, which has a limited budget to begin with. What makes more sense to put money into a studio show that kind of promotes some of your MMA properties, but really promotes the UFC more than anything else? Because that's the ratings driver for a news show. You have to cover the UFC. That has to be predominant if you're going to do a studio news show or maybe take some of that money instead of spending it on a studio show and put it into your actual fight promotions. You're, it's a, more of an equitable investment. I think it's a better investment. 30 shows from LFA. Congratulations to those guys. Congratulations to Ed Soros. My hope with the announcement of this five-year deal is that they're getting a big bump up in pay. With the cancellation of Access uh, MMA Live, I'm hoping some of that money is reallocated and that LFA is getting more money per show as a rights fee because there was a time where, from what I understand, HDNet, now Access TV, was paying Dream $50,000 just to run their feed, $50,000 a show as a rights fee, yet their American-based promotions were being paid much, much less than that. I'm hoping that LFA is getting a deal that's closer to what Dream was getting. I'm hoping LFA is getting 50000 per show. I think they deserve it. Whether or not they're getting it, I don't know, but I think for the work that they put in, the investment they've made, they definitely deserve it. I'm hoping they get that because if you combine that with a decent gate and you combine that with sponsorships, you're looking at a business model now that is sustainable. You're looking at a promotion in LFA, which is a major uh, – impactful, influential feeder league with a sustainable business model. And that means it could not only here for, it's not only here for now, it can be here for years to come. We look at so many business models for other regional and mid-major MMA promotions, and they're not making money and they can't survive. Hopefully Access TV is investing in LFA because the sport needs LFA just to not only exist, but also thrive and, and do very well so that it can put money back into its fighters. And does it, you know, in the next six months, is a realistic uh, conversation is LFA going to be the number three mixed martial arts uh, property in the United States? And they it's already number WSF. Four. It's already number four. And if they, you know, they're they're going to have a lot of good prospects. They they already have some good ones, but I think even more are going to knock down the door of the LFA because of those thirty dates. And you know, if they can get some veteran guys in there, a few bigger names to come in there, I think that would be great as well. Because when the RFA first started. The, the fight cards were much higher profile than they are now. Now it's very prospect-driven, but you would also see veterans on those shows. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they're getting a little more money out of Access TV, and they can bring in some bigger names. For instance, Ben Saunders just took a fight outside of the UFC against Jacob Volkman and won. It was on a small show I've never heard of. That's a fight. You know, Maybe LFA can afford that type of fight now, and we could see something like that. Yeah. Not only the prospects that want to fight for the UFC for the first time ever, but some of the guys climbing their way back that want to get that second chance. And Ben Saunders is now back in the UFC. He announced that on uh, late Monday evening that he has signed a contract with them. Uh, one quick thing I want to mention about the regional scene. I had an interview last week with Shamrock FC CEO Jesse Finney. He ended up having to take legal action against Fight Hard MMA about two fighters that sh- were under – Shamrock contract to fight, which is going to be uh, for this weekend's fight card. One of those being Kyle Kurtz's in the main event of the Shamrock event, taking on Bobby Volker. Uh, Kyle Kurtz ended up signing another contract with Fight Hard MMA. Um, he, he released a statement where basically said that you know he was uh, misled and lied to, uh, and, and basically Jesse had to had to take Fight Hard MMA to court because he had a signed contract with the fighter and got a temporary restraining order, so Kyle Kurtz would not fight on, on that Fight Hard MMA. And saying when I heard this about a fighter having you know signing one contract with promotion, and then all of a sudden there's a, a another signed contract pops up. My first thought is, man, this isn't something like you, it's a brand new thing you've heard. I, I feel like I hear about this all the time. 
Welcome to Regional MMA. It is dirty, dirty business. It's very shady. It's a big reason after I did my first Matrix fight show as a licensed promoter a couple years back, I decided, you know what? I don't want to do this. This is this is ridiculous. I'm not going to base my family's financial well-being uh, on uh, on an industry where you've got some low lives and total scumbags that don't care about anyone else but themselves and will lie, cheat, and steal in order to make a dime. You know, uh, it's it's. I feel for Jesse Finney if the allegations are true for him going through what he's going through. I went through something like that. My business partners and I, for the last Matrix show, we signed a professional boxer by the name of Powell Wolak to our show. Less than 48 hours later, he was. Uh, we, we had gotten indications that a rival promotion that was booked for the same date as us had reached out to him and was trying to convince him to leave our fight card, drop off our fight show. Even though we had a valid signed uh, bout agreement with him, they were trying to convince him to leave and fight for them. You know, and, and there's really very little we could do about it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's as you kind of said, welcome to regional MMA and what happens there. I mean... It seems like I heard that, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, Jesse had to, to go the legal route because he had told me this was actually a situation that had been going on since the end of July. So, but Kyle Kurtz will be fighting on that Shamrock car coming up this Saturday. Uh, so he takes on uh, a former, uh, UFC vet Bobby Volker. Can I cut you off Go ahead. real quick? See, now he's going the legal route, and that hurts the fighters in the long run. Jesse Finney was forced in a position where he's got to spend money on lawyers and court costs, and that's money he could have reinvested into his promotion that would have ended up in the hands of the fighters. Yeah, I believe the number he said that he felt it was going to be $10,000 in attorney fees from from the from the start and into where it ended. Yeah, it's uh obviously a, a lot of money there. Now, you know, I talked about earlier with Shell Son and kind of my initial reaction when I when I heard it was wow. Sam, I had that same reaction when I read the Al Iaquinta piece uh written by Damon Martin on foxsports.com. Uh when when you you first see the piece, what goes through your mind? I have not seen that piece. I've read a couple other articles, and I've read some quotes, uh, you know, some excerpts of the interview he did with Ariel Hawani on Monday. I'm not, uh, you know, taken aback by the, the, the articles that are out there. I'm taken aback by the people's responses to the articles. I, I, I don't get it, Jason. I don't think Al Quinn has been screwed here. I don't think he's 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 – I don't see what the UFC's done wrong here. I think that where it, kind of my response with the wow is, you know, a year, two years ago, I, I don't think a fighter speaks out like this. I, I think that's where my reaction come from is a, is a fighter's actually coming out. And, uh, you know, some. and here's one of the quotes that, that Ally Quinta said. He said this. I got the con, and he's talking about UFC 205 where he was supposed to fight Tiago Alves. He goes, "Quote: I got the contract, and I was just looking at it for a couple of days, and I was, I was just like, I can't sign it. I can't do it. I felt like it wasn't right. I talked to my manager. I said, listen, I really want to fight New York. There's nothing I want to do more than fight New York, but I can't take a pay cut." for this fight now later on in the article obviously he, he brings up the Reebok pay and how he, he lost money on that and I, and I do want to get into that but I think the other the two other parts of this article that that people are kind of looking at is the fact of the UFC saying he was not eligible for a fight night bonus due to having a, a three strikes uh, which come from the third strike was skipping the fighter a fighter summit uh, also, he said the other strikes came from wrecking a hotel room after his fight with Joe Lazone in 2014 and cursing on live television following his win against Jorge Masvidal in 2015. Also, he talked about going back and forth with the knee surgery he ended up having, and, and of course, you know that comes into that whole uh, health insurance policy that that the UFC has for fighters. Uh, you know, those are really the big things. And, you know, I, w I was really thinking about this, you know, these three strikes that he had against him, Sam. And I, I can understand why people are going to side with Ally Quinta, but I also kind of see, you know, the UFC, I mean, in everyone's job, you have the chance to get written up. And this is essentially, the you know, the UFC saying, hey, because you did these three things, we're going to take something away from you. I see the UFC's perspective, and people listening to this might attribute it to the fact that I worked for promotions. I come from the promotional side. I don't see things from the fighter's perspective. And maybe that's true, but I also trained for, for a number of years. 
I've been affiliated with gyms. I've been in the gym culture. I, I've been around fighters. I have friends that are fighters, and I, I've met Ally, Ally Aquino. I've followed. I've I have followed his career since he was an amateur. I first saw him back in 2005 when he went to the IFL tryouts, and I've been a fan of his ever since. I, I, I met him personally. I don't know if he even remembers me or would know my name, but I've met him a couple times. Nice guy. I, I you know I, I like him as a fighter. I like him as a person. But when you do some of the things that he's done, and he's done them repeatedly, there are consequences. You cannot trash a hotel room. I, when I was at Bellator, we had fighters do that kind of stuff. And guess who gets hit with the bill? You can't just say, well, that wasn't us. It was the fighter. You need to talk to the fighter. No, the promotion has to pay that bill. And it's almost impossible to recover that money from a fighter. The fighter just doesn't have the money. So, you know, he may have done tens of thousands of damage, the dollars of damage to that hotel room that the UFC had, had, to, had to pay for. And, and then in the other side of that story, sorry, sorry, Sam, to cut you off, is there may be so much damage done in that hotel room. All of a sudden, when you go back to that city, that hotel's like, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not booking you. Right. I, you, know, you, you can't behave in that kind of way. Cursing on live national TV, you know, it, it is what it is. It happens. I don't think that's a big deal. But not showing up for the fighter summit, it's, it's mandatory. And, yes, he said he was ill, and, and, and maybe he was. But going on the next day and showing a picture of yourself from the beach, even though it's near your house – not the smartest move. And yeah, you know, just because you're, you're, you're not feeling well and you're not going to the fighter summit doesn't mean you should, you know, be, you know, quarantined to your own home. Doesn't mean you should go out. You shouldn't go out. But it also doesn't mean you should kind of boast about that fact and rub that in the face of the UFC. And you've got to understand why the UFC would be upset about it. I mean, listen, we could talk about whether or not there should, you're, whether an independent contractor should be made to go to a mandatory uh, fighter summit, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole different topic. But, you know, mandatory is mandatory. Very few fighters were excited to go. They did it, and, you know, Al Iaquina didn't want to be there. He said he was ill. Don't put a picture up. Just It, it was a bad yeah. move. The, 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 the one thing that I will say in defense of Al Iaquinta, I don't have an issue with him not being eligible for fight night bonuses, but you know, there shouldn't be an indefinite term. There, it should be like a jail sentence. You know, you're not eligible for six months. You're not eligible for a year. You're not eligible for three fights. Give him a path of redemption. Let him serve his penance and, you know, get, get back into the good graces. Give him an opportunity. Give him an opportunity to eventually be eligible again for fight night bonuses. To, to just do it indefinitely, indiscriminately, without any kind of term. I do have an issue with that, but... You know, I don't see where he's coming from overall, though. I, I, I just don't. You know, there, there are going to be consequences when you've done some of the things that he's done. And, you know, the, the Reebok thing, we could, again, that's a, a whole other segment we could do. My understanding, though, is the current contract that Al Iaquinta is on, he signed that after the Reebok deal was instituted. Yeah, I believe I've seen that someplace. I mean, this is my thing about the So Re- how can you complain? If he's not on an old contract that predated the Reebok deal – that it is what it is, and if you didn't like it, you shouldn't have signed a new deal, and you should have waited to become a free agent and test the waters elsewhere, like other fighters have done now in the last year. But and it's 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 you know, once you agree to a fight, and he gave his verbal agreement to Joe Silva. You know, if you didn't want to fight, don't fight. Tell Joe Silva you're not interested in fighting for that kind of money. End of story. Goodbye. But don't agree to it one minute and then back out the next and complain over money when the terms are exactly the same as they were when you agreed to the fight. This is my thing about when I hear fighters complain about the the Reebok deal, and I completely understand why they complain about it, but I think for a lot of fighters, they just don't get this aspect of the reason sponsors were willing to pay you that kind of money. It wasn't because they were in the Ally Quinta business. They were in the UFC business, you know, and go listen to what Benson Henderson's saying. Go listen to what some of these guys that have gone over the Bellator. Listen to what Joe Warren is saying. It's like, fellas, it's not as good as you, you think it may be. And for Sponsorship's Ali- dead. And Sponsorship and for, is dead. And for Ally Quinta, say he became a free agent tomorrow. Is Bellator offered him 26 and 26? No, no. And. You know, it's this is another case of a guy complaining about expenses and and not making any money. You know, twenty six and twenty six, you win your fight, you, you've made fifty two thousand dollars. That's a year's salary for most people. What what what? I don't understand the complaint there because 
He's complaining about taxes. Well, guess what? We all have to pay taxes. That's the reality. No matter what job you do, no matter what line of work you're in, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're paying taxes, or at the very least, you should be paying taxes. And then he's complaining about trainers' cost. Well, you know, trainers need to get paid too. They've got to survive. He's complaining about bringing in sparring partners. That's where I, he lost me because I've been to that fight camp. I've been in that room before to scout, and it's a loaded room. It is an absolutely loaded room. If you're a fighter and you're not a world champion and you're paying, if you, you, feel you, have, uh, you feel you have to pay to bring guys in to spar with, you're either in the wrong camp or the wrong part of the United States. Because Ally Quinta, if for whatever reason he can't get guys to come in between fights to train with him, there's other camps in that general vicinity that he could go out and spar and go other places where he could go within a reasonable uh, distance and drive to and get higher-level sparring if he doesn't feel like he's getting enough sparring and the right kind of sparring at Cerro Longo. Why is Ally Quinta flying guys in? I don't get that. Why, you know, if Chris Weidman needs to fly, you know, fly a guy in, that makes sense because at one point he was a world champion. He needs someone that can emulate the style of the guy he's going to fight. The stakes are very high. He's making more money. He has more money to reinvest into his camp. But if you're not a world champion and you're not making main, main event level money, you can't run the same camp and operate at the same expense level as a main event fighter. Mm-hmm. You've got to run a, a different kind of camp, and you've got to cut corners where, when you need to. And, you know, let's be honest about Ally Quinta, even for UFC 205, was, you know, he was going to be on the prelims. He, he was not going to be on the main card, most likely. Um, you know, and, and, and I think as, as an independent contractor, you got to pick and choose your battles. I just don't know if this was the right battle for him to pick. No, it was, it's, it's a bad battle. Hopefully his manager did not give him this advice. I'm going to assume that the manager told him not to do this. It's not smart because he's buried himself. He has absolutely buried himself in the eyes of the UFC by agreeing to a fight verbally, then backing out, and then going publicly and trying to shame the UFC. A lot of times, fighters are getting screwed. A lot of times, fighters are being treated poorly, and they're not being treated right. I don't think this is one of those cases, Jason. I got to imagine, and and you can talk about this as a matchmaker, that's got to be one of the things that pisses you off the most is when someone verbally agrees to the fight, and then all of a sudden they say no. What really pisses me off is when fighters go out and complain about how they've been mistreated, they present their perspective, and the public fan base just eats it up, doesn't even consider the side of the the promotion, and just assumes that the fighter, because he's unhappy, he must have been screwed without really looking at all the facts. Because in this case, the UFC is not wrong. They are not wrong. And we'll we'll see what happens to Ally Quinta. The final thing we want to talk about here on this week's edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast is an article that... Uh, you pointed out to me uh, over the weekend something that, Sam, we just never see. <laughs> we, just, I mean, we never see a promoter come out and say, you know what, I'm not making money. <laughs> You've never, yeah, we've never seen a guy come out and say, you know what, it is all, all smoke and mirrors. These big shows I've been doing with these big names, yeah, we're, we're not selling any tickets, we're not making any money, and we might be going out of business. I, Frank Miranda, I, lo- I didn't have a lot of respect for him before this article because of the, the, because of the ways he defended Mayhem Miller when Mayhem fought on his shows. But I'm a fan of his now after this, this article. This degree of frankness and honesty and candidness, I've never seen it from a promoter in MMA before. A yeah. promoter admitting that they haven't made money? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a rarity. And uh, I highlighted a couple quotes in this article. Uh, from uh, BloodyElbow.com, and this was uh, Frank, quote, Venator FC3 was the fifth event in one year, and it was the last test to decide if we should continue. The Italian public is not interested in MMA, even if we talk about the UFC. The Italians just watched Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, CM Punk, and Brock Lesnar. In Italy, even though the results were not bad, we're far from making money from that. Even though we didn't make big money, we considered to continue due to an offer from UFC about moving Venator to Fight Pass. We couldn't say anything about it because of a non-disclosure agreement. Two weeks after the offer, the UFC was sold and everything got lost. The new management is thinking about more important stuff right now, so at the moment we got no deal and we don't know if the new bosses are still interested. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, Bellator has already done an event in Italy. They're going back in Italy uh, in December. It's going to be uh, Lesio Scar and Joey Beltran is reportedly going to be the main event of that fight card. I think all expectations are that the UFC 
we'll go there at some point. Um, you know, there's even been talk about maybe the World Series of Fighting going there uh, at, at some point as well. But it, it just seeing this article, it was just like it was like wow. You you never hear a promoter talk this way and because and there's a lot of promoters out there that saying we know it's highly unlikely they're making money i think that more promoters should be as honest as frank because when you project a fake image of being successful in mma as a promoter and making a lot of money all you do is invite fighters to want to ask for more money whereas if you were honest and open about the fact that you're maybe breaking even more likely losing money maybe fighters wouldn't demand as much money as they do but if you're a fighter from their perspective if you're fighting for a regional promoter that's driving a brand new car that's you know bragging about this and that and their house and the new hot tub that that that, that they got of course you're gonna ask for more money when you fight yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's refreshing. I mean, I, I think as we talk about, it, it's refreshing to to hear fighters come out and, and speak their mind. It's refreshing to hear a, a promoter come out because you know there's there's a lot of expenses that go on to putting on a show. I mean, you know, one of the things that and I, and I know that that people love to be able to whether it's uh you know sit in front of their computer or, or sit in front of their phone. And, and watch a fight card is for a lot of these promotions that do these internet streams, they're not making money on those deals. It's actually costing them money to put those on. It's getting harder and harder to make money on the regional MMA level. That's why I'm excited about LFA and their new deal, getting 30 dates, getting a new contract with Access TV. We need promotions on the regional level, on the feeder system level, to have sustainable business models because without them, we don't have the UFC. I tell you, one of the things I hear the most from Sam, and this has been over, I would say, the last, I don't know, three or four months, is I end up getting, you know, people reach out to me and they're like, look, we want more credible MMA people covering our promotion. You know, and the term that keeps coming up to me is we want people who are going to cover our event and they're not coming just for a free ticket. And, uh, you know, I've been to some local shows and you definitely see it. You, you see it. And a lot of these, these regional promoters, are, they're getting smart with who they're going to for coverage of their event and, and to get people to know, you know, who they are. Well, you know, it speaks to a bigger issue. The MMA bubble has burst. I mean, we've seen sponsorship dry out. We've seen a lot of MMA gyms that were doing well in the mid-2000s, late-2000s. A lot of those gyms have closed up. It, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't think we see as much of the independent MMA media around because I think a lot of people that were covering the sport, they were investing too much time and not getting much of a return. It's very hard to make money as, as a reporter in MMA, as a writer in MMA, you know, because especially if you run a website, you know, the sponsors are not only not there for, you know, uh, fights outside of the UFC, they're, they're, they're not there to invest in, in some of these websites. So it's very hard right now to make money in MMA outside of the UFC. There aren't a lot of opportunities out there. So when these promotions wonder why they don't have more reporters covering their shows, legitimate reporters, that's because a lot of the legitimate reporters packed up uh, ship, you know, packed their bags a long time ago and went and you know, started to do something else again. I mean, Sam, I can speak as a mayor reporter. I don't do as much fight night covers as I once did. Um you know, I mean, and a lot of a lot of stuff I do is I, I try to I try to do interviews with with fires that are coming up on the regional scene, you know, because you know that's where, you know, you can kind of get some guys to talk to you and uh, they give you some good stories. I mean, obviously you're still going to get the UFC interviews, the Bellator interviews, the World Series of Fighting interviews, and things along those lines. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough running a a, a MMA website when you know you're. Um, when you're not the big boys, you know, and you have to, you know, and anytime I, someone asks me for advice, I always say is you, you got to carve out your own niche. You know, you, you've got to do things that, that make you unique. So, you know, it's like w when I do cover a UFC event live, that, that's why I, I will tweet out fight stats. It's something unique. It's something that um, really no one else is doing. And you um, have to be passionate about it, Jason, because if you're doing it just for the money, then you're never going to be satisfied. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you know, and that's always the advice. It doesn't matter what sport you're covering. You, you have to, you have to separate yourself from, from other people. I mean, you know, obviously people come to listen to this podcast. It's a podcast that you don't get anywhere else. You don't get, uh, you know, people talking about the business side of things. And, you know, my solo show is a lot of interviews of, of regional fighters. You know, I try to try to get it out there. I mean, and 
Um, you know, on my solo show this week, I, I've got the Odyssey Fights matchmaker David Arvello is going to be on to talk about his fight card that's taking place on on Saturday night and and some of the fires out on that car. Some fire, you know, a lot of the fires that no one really knows who they are, but you may know them in another two or three years because they've made their uh, way up the regional scene. But you know, that's just for me. I, I try to do things a little differently and. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, honestly, I, I, when it comes to the UFC event this past weekend, uh, I watched the last two fights of the live because I just happened to be sitting in my hotel room at that point. Uh, it, it was nice being on the West Coast, and, you know, the fights end at, what, 9 or 10 o'clock at night. That yeah. was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, I, I find myself – I don't watch as – I watch a lot of MMA on DVR now. Well, I don't watch really much live MMA anymore because I'm a cord cutter, you know, and we talk a lot about cord cutting, but I also want to talk about pay-per-view, Jason. I, I really want to talk about pay-per-view because I think pay-per-view as we know it, Jason, really could be dying, and maybe we should talk about this on another show, and this probably is the wrong time to get into this, but, you know, seeing a lot of the moves that are being made, I think that the model that we're going to see from the UFC once they sign their new TV deal, yes, they'll still do pay-per-views, but only when it's Conor McGregor, only when it's a Ronda Rousey, only when it's a draw of that type. And I think the rest of their shows are going to be on regular TV, whether it be Fox Sports 1 or an ESPN. I think in order to get the TV package up from $100 million a year to $300 to $400 the way that they do business, a lot of these pay-per-views that they're doing now – that aren't drawing the 700 plus buy rates that, you know, the ones that are doing 150 to 300,000. I think those types of shows, you're not going to have to pay for them much longer. I think they're going to end up on the new broadcast deal come 2018, especially when they're looking for $400 million a year in a TV rights package. Um, you know, I can tell you, I was in a, a downtown Phoenix, uh, you know, sports bar on Saturday night and the UFC card and FS1 obviously had a lot of major college football on, but there was only one TV in the building that had the fights on. You know, Zach Arnold of FightOpinion.com, I respect, you know, his views, but he's always shided Vince McMahon because Vince went to the WWE Network model and Zach Arnold has basically said he went to it too early that Vince McMahon, you know, felt pay-per-view was dead, and pay-per-view is far from dead. Well, pay-per-view is dead. I mean, Manny Pacquiao may do one or two more fights, but he's he's pretty much retired. Mayweather is retired. Yes, maybe he'll come out of retirement and do one or two fights, but that, that Mayweather gravy train, the heyday of Mayweather is over. You look at, you know, Canelo, the fight that he just had, uh, you know, he keeps doing fights like that. He's not going to be a pay-per-view draw, and even when he is a draw, he's nowhere near the level of what Mayweather was. WWE, not on pay-per-view anymore for the most part. Yeah, I guess they simulcast the events they do on WWE Network on a few pay-per-view yeah, providers why, scattered why, why would there. you buy it on pay-per-view if you can get it for 10 bucks I, I, don't, I don't know but there still are people that do i think they're you know maybe about 15 to twenty thousand still buy their wow. pay-per-views traditionally tna not on pay-per-view anymore i think they do one a year you know you looked at some of these regional promotions uh, out there through go fight live they were trying pay-per-view i don't see them doing it anymore tna you know uh ring of honor i'm not sure if they're doing pay-per-view anymore there there aren't very many properties on pay-per-view and if ufc pulls a lot of their shows from pay-per-view, pay-per-view will be dead. You know, you, you look at, you know, a lot of these content providers that want to renegotiate, get their rights up. And if anyone had, you know, the, the leverage to get a better cut from the pay-per-view providers, it's the UFC. Because if the UFC picks up their stakes and leaves, what does pay-per-view have at that point? UFC right now should not be splitting profits 50-50 with pay-per-view. They should be getting a much yeah. higher cut of, of, of the gate there. They are in the driver's seat. And I think ultimately that's why you're going to see them move more of their shows to regular broadcast in 2018. This is my thing about, you know, especially when you talk about the, the GFLs of the world, uh, Flow Combat, and there's some other ones out there in terms of, of streaming fights. And, and I guess as I talk to more and more promoters and, and they tell me about things, I, I just – I don't understand what the advantage is of streaming your events. Because it's vanity. It's pure vanity. It's because, I mean, the fact is, if if I decided I was going to start my own MMA promotion, which God knows I'm not, um, but if I were and, and I'm going to run a show here in Tampa, I'm not going to stream it somewhere. I'm, you know, because then, you know, if, if someone knows, hey, I can pay 15 bucks or, or 20 bucks, whatever it is, why are they going to come buy a 35 or $45 ticket? And not only that, if they're not buying a ticket that costs more, and 
they're not in the venue. They're not able to buy merchandise. Mm-hmm. They're not able to buy concessions. So your venue is not going to be happy with you when your concessions suck. They're going to raise your rent. If you do well in concessions, you can always use that against the uh, the venue when uh, when you're renegotiating your deal. I, I know a lot of promotions that they do so well the concessions they're able to get better rent as time goes on but if if you don't have people in the stands coming out there and investing in the local economy then you're going to get pay rent out the ass yeah it's uh it's you know it's it's crazy i mean but uh you know you know especially sometimes i wonder about how some of these other streaming uh services how well they really do and if you know, because you're already going towards a niche fan base as it is, and and let's be honest about it, you know probably ninety plus percent of that niche fan base probably has a subscription to the UFC Fight Pass. So at minimum, they're paying ten bucks a month now. If you if you buy six, nine, or twelve months total at one time, you get it at a cheaper rate. I mean, I, I pay I paid for tw- I paid for twelve months at a time, and, and I want to say it was like eighty four bucks or, or something along those lines. I wonder how many of those same fans, you know, even if there is a regional show they want to watch and they know they have to go on GFL or, or Flow Combat, how many of those fans are, are buying those services as well? I mean, you know, because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's you're going to sit in front of your computer and watch those events, and you know, do, do you have a, you know, do you want to have a social life? I guess you'd say. A lot of these regional promoters are idiots. Uh, I'm just going to be frank; they're they're idiots. The, these guys that either give away their content for free. Or even pay. And in the past, I don't know what the situation is now, but the CBS Sports Network deal, that was a pay deal. I know that for a fact. I don't know what it is now, but I know in the past that you, if you wanted to be on CBS Network, Sports Network, you could, but you had to pay if you were an MMA promotion. Once you pay for someone to take your content, you are no longer a potential content partner. You are a client, and you will always be seen as such. So these promoters that did it in droves, that started paying these outlets to feature their MMA content, they ruined it for everyone else out there. I don't understand that way of doing business. I think it's stupid. They they just ruined it not only for themselves but a bunch of other promoters. History has shown very few people that have gone the time-by route have been able to convert that into a right field feed deal. One of the only people that ever was able to do that was Bjorn Rebney. I mean, from what I understand, the ESPN Deportes was a time buy. The Fox Sports Net deal was a time buy. And somehow he parlayed that into not only a TV deal with Spike TV and Viacom, but an acquisition as well. So you've got to give the man credit as a businessman for pulling that off. But he is few and far between. A lot of people are trying to follow us in his footsteps, and they won't. They won't. And if you're a promoter out there and you're paying for to have your show featured, I'm sure it feels good and you, you feel important and you feel like Billy Badass. And, you know, do you want to be rich or do you want to be famous? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand why people would do a time buy. I really, I, I really don't understand that. Um, you know, these, 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 these networks have no incentive to ever pay a rights fee when they've got promotions begging them with cash in hand to, to feature their content. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy there. But uh, as we end the end this show, Sam, got to say congratulations as you beat me in fantasy football this week. I guess it doesn't help when. I have two uh, players go down in the game. That that definitely helped you out there. So congratulations, uh, excuses, man. excuses. I mean, Todd Gurley had a bad game. So, I mean, had he gone off, then, I mean, that, that hurt me, but I still won. I'm going I'm to be hitting the waiver wire this week. <laughs> i gotta, I got to play some There's not a lot claims. out there. Oh, there's not a lot out there. No, I, I was looking this morning. Yeah, there, there definitely is not a, not a lot out there. But uh, you did give me. I'm sure I'll meet you sometime later on in, in the season. So, uh, well, so far I've had the Hernandez hitman number uh, number the last two years. You have had our number. So, But, uh, but yeah, that was uh, this past week. Got, i got to say this. Uh, I went to uh, the Diamondbacks-Dodger game uh, last Saturday night. That is a beautiful stadium. Um, they actually had the, the roof closed as the game started, but then they opened it up uh, around the fifth inning or so. I mean, just just a great stadium. It's always it's always nice when I get to go spend an extra day or two in a city and kind of see some things. So uh, that, that was very cool on uh, on Saturday night being out there on, on the West Coast and uh, and uh, University of Phoenix Stadium. That, that's a cool stadium a, as well. So it's uh, the first time I've, I've had a chance to do a game out there. So uh, that, that was fun. And uh, I get to be home for the next two weeks, Sam. It's kind of nice. Very nice. Yeah, so, uh, of course, uh, you can always follow us on Twitter. I'm at, I'm at Jason underscore Floyd. Sam is at Sam Kaplan MMA. Be sure to, uh, 
you know, f- subscribe to this show on iTunes and Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, also on the Radio Influence SoundCloud page. Of course, uh, the MMA Insiders is now on Facebook, facebook.com slash the MMA Insiders. You definitely want to check that out. So until and, next and week. Jason, if we didn't get to your question this week, re-ask it. I will answer it on Facebook uh, this week. Yeah, then definitely check that out there. Sam, as always, appreciate your time. We'll talk again next week, man. See you then. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence.